All right, you can be seated. Fantastic day today in a lot of ways. For one, Dan and Monica, who usually sit over here, are getting married in about five hours. Uh, they're doing this thing in Maine. So if this area is vacated right here, I, mean, I think it's because a lot of that crew is up there celebrating that with them. Would you just take a second with me to pray for them this morning? Uh, Father, I pray for Dan and for Monica. I pray that the whirlwind of today would be a great joy for them. And I also pray that they would have a tangible sense of the meaning of marriage and the grace of the gospel that's been given to them and an awareness that they are dead if their own strength and their own capacity is going to lead this marriage to holiness and health. But with you, all things are possible, including a holy and happy and healthy home being built around their love and commitment to each other. So as they pledge their love for each other before the watching world, I pray that the love of Christ for his church and bride would, be, would not be missed in that assembly and, and that there would just be much joy. So I pray for great blessing on them today and this week. Would you hear my prayer for that and answer, I pray. Amen. All right, fantastic day, different kind of day in the life of our church. Because of his grace and his love for you and his desire to see the life and the mission of this congregation healthy and strong, we believe that Jesus, the senior pastor of our church, our chief shepherd, has called and gifted and qualified three men to serve as deacons in the life of this church. Today we're going to be presenting them to you and praying for them and being excited about them stepping formally into that official role of service in the life of the church. But before we get there, I want to do some work in the book of Acts to set a good frame for what this process has looked like and will continue to look like as we raise up leaders to serve Jesus' church. Let me walk through this first. Prescriptive versus descriptive. Okay. One of the things that we will say to you over and over again over the course of this fall and winter and next fall and winter as we're working through the 28 chapters of the book of Acts is that there is a difference between prescriptive texts and descriptive texts. Prescriptive is when someone tells you this is exactly how you need to do something. Here is A, B, C, or here is step one, step two, step three. Do it exactly like that. Go. That is prescriptive. That's where we get the word prescription from. So I have acne rosacea. I go see my dermatologist over on Main Street. He gives me a prescription. He says, Matt, go to that Walgreens and take this sheet of paper and order this exact medicine and apply this exact dose to these exact trouble spots at this exact time of the day, this exact number of times per week. Prescription. So I go over to Walgreens and I hand her the prescription and she says, that will be $380, please. And I said, what? Can you slow down? 
She said, $380, please. And I held up a tube of rosacea cream, and I said, you know what? You can hold on to that. I'm going to get a Kit Kat, and I'm out of here, and I'll stay red, whatever the prescription may be. That is not how most of the book of Acts works, not how it works. Luke's stories that he has collected here are descriptive. He is not saying this is exactly how things are supposed to work in all church settings for all times. He is saying to us, hey, this is how it went down in this first generation, in this first context, in this founding apostolic era of the church. We say it like this, he is describing the relentless advance of the gospel in that generation, in that context. He is not necessarily prescribing how every single detail needs to function and work in the life of churches subsequent to that first generation and that first context. Okay, take that in. Now, that does not mean, therefore, that the book of Acts is just an irrelevant, ancient, historical text that has nothing to do with our life today as Jesus' people. No. What we get to do is to come to the descriptive texts in the book of Acts and say, even if we don't necessarily do or practice or experience things exactly the same way, there should be a tone that is very similar in our language, in our priorities, in our practices, in the way that we do our thing with each other, with our world. The ethos of our church should feel a ton like the ethos of this Jesus community that we're observing over these two years. These words were given to us for our good. We should be shaped by these words. And so what we'll do often over the next two years is we will study a text in its original context and we will make some observations and just breathe it in and see what this looked like then. And then we will seek to wisely bring into our context some of the ways and the principles and the truths of how these things went down with us. Okay, that's the kind of thing I want to do with you today in an abbreviated sermon because we're going to hear from and pray for the men who are stepping in to serve you as deacons. So we are calling leaders in the life of Seven Mile Road this morning. Before us is a text that describes how the first leader in the first church was called. We're going to study the text. We're going to make some observations and say, does our calling of leaders look in any way, does it jive in any way with their calling of leaders? Another way to say that is to say that if somehow Peter and James and John and Mary and Martha time warped, time bandits into this day and age and traded in their sandals and robe for jeans and, and sneakers and became members of our church, would they fit right in and be like, I love this. This is very familiar to me the way this is happening. Not the electronics and the screen, but the ethos and the spirit and the faith. We want to be that kind of church that jives with the church throughout history. 
Okay, so let's start there and let's work the text together. Here we go. In those days, Peter stood up among the brothers. The company of persons was in all about 120, and he said, okay, so you know the context from last week. Judas is dead. There's only 11 apostles. There's a space missing, and the company of the church has come together. They're going to deal with this. One of the observations we can make from their finding of calling of a new leader is this kind of thing. We see Peter and the apostles leading, and we also see the whole community is aware and involved. So when you see Peter speaking, don't think this is the proto-pope. Think the 11 apostles are the identified leaders of the community. They can't all talk at once. There's no need for all 11 of them to say the same thing. So Peter is the spokesman for the plurality of leaders in this little community, and he is doing his job of being a good shepherd, like Jesus said he would be, of leading. So we see that happening. But they are not calling this 12th apostle in a back room somewhere, just among themselves, and then sending the memo to the church, posting on Twitter who they have chosen. They are coming with the company of people and saying, We have a need for leadership to be raised up. Let's be doing this process together. So you have the leaders leading. You have the congregation participating. They are in this thing together. Everyone is invested. Okay, then the first thing that Peter does is he says, it is written, it is written, it is written. This is why Judas defected. This is, we saw this coming in the writings of the scriptures. And he ends his first speech to them with these words, again, for it is written in the book of Psalms, let another take his office. Okay, what observation can we make from this? Well, how about this one? We see that they are going through their work with an open Bible. For the last 40 days, Jesus, risen from the dead, appeared to them, and he was opening the scriptures It wasn't beautifully bound in cowhide like this. It was scrolls that they had memorized. And he was saying, Moses, book of Exodus, that's about me. Moses, book of Deuteronomy, that's about me. Judges, that's about me. The prophets, Isaiah, Jeremiah, Ezekiel, Daniel, that's about me. The Psalms, the writings, all of this was getting ready for my suffering and my glory and the explosion of the kingdom of God. I am the Christ, and the words of God have been fulfilled in me. Jesus always with a Bible open with them. And so what do we naturally see them doing as they begin to be the church after the ascension of Christ? The Bible is open. So we'll just work on this one thing. Let another take his office. Psalm 109 is a beautiful, hard psalm about a traitor, about an enemy of the anointed of God. And among the things that we see the psalmist saying needs to happen when that enemy rises up and then is deposed is what? Psalm 109 says, and may another take his office. May someone holy and humble and righteous step into that spot and fulfill it. So the early church 
with Jesus, has their Bibles open, they read through this psalm inspired by the Spirit, the apostles say, we need to replace Judas who has gone to his own place. Now sometimes you'll read commentators say that they shouldn't have done this, Paul was supposed to be the 12th apostle. Jesus didn't say anything about calling apostles. He just said to wait for the Holy Spirit. They were in sin. They were rash with this text of Scripture. I think that's silly. Don't forget that Jesus had come as the Christ to fulfill the promises of God to the people of God. When God first formed His people through whom He would bring a blessing to all nations, He chose a family that would become a nation. He started with Abram and his family, and then Isaac, and then Jacob. And then Jacob had how many sons? Twelve sons. Those twelve sons became the fathers of the twelve tribes of Israel. Those were the twelve tribes of Israel who went into the promised land, the people of God. Now they failed and they failed and they failed and they failed and they were exiled and for 400 years it has felt like God's promises to his people might not come true. The 12 tribes of Israel had been scattered, barely brought back together. This may not happen. What is one of the first things that Jesus does when he shows up as the Messiah? What does he do? He calls disciples to himself. How many Jewish men does he call? He calls 12. Why does he do that? He is making a statement and saying, I am here to reconstitute Israel, to reconstitute the people of God. This thing is going to happen, what God had promised. Reconstitute. In family worship, Callie said, why did Jesus constipate it? Not reconstipated. Reconstituted the people of God in these 12. Jesus did that. He did that to show what he was intending to do. So now these disciples come together and they say, we believe Jesus was the Christ. We believe that this people of God is going to usher in the new covenant gospel, but he called 12. We only have an 11. We need to fill that office. So this is not a sinful act. This is actually an act of great faith of this little community to say, we believe Jesus intends to raise up a leader so that we can be well-led and step into the program that he has before us. How did they get there? They got there with the Bible open. Okay, good. Next verse says this. So, one of the men who have accompanied us during all the time that the Lord Jesus went in and out among us beginning from the baptism of John until the day when he was taken up from us. One of these men must become with us a witness to his resurrection. Okay, what do we see in this part of this describing of this story? We see that they put forward some qualifications for who it will be who will step into this position of leadership. And They say, we got to find somebody who's been here from A to Z, somebody who has seen with their eyes from when John started baptizing all the way through the whole ordeal to the ascension of Christ. We need someone who has seen it all. Ever have an experience where you saw some beautiful story 
unfold itself before your eyes. You've seen the whole thing. You're the person we want to be the spokesperson for what happened if you've seen it all. Remember the year the Celts won the championship with the big three the second time around? Garnett and Pierce and Ray Allen. For some reason, accidentally, we don't even have cable. I don't know how this happened. I saw the first preseason game that day, that year. It was at Mohegan Sun. You know how they do that in the preseason? They play in these weird places. Anyway, they do. And I just remember watching the first 10 minutes of this first preseason game, and this Hall of Fame player, Kevin Garnett, dove after a loose ball, and all four guys on the team hustled up and picked him up off the ground, and I remember going, what in the world? This is a preseason game. No one dives in the preseason. This might be a special year here. And it turned out that as I watched the whole season all the way to game six in the garden when they pummeled the Lakers by 42 and won the trophy, I took that whole year in. If you would like to grab coffee and talk for like three hours about that team, we could do that. I'm a witness of the beauty and the power of of what happened in that year. Do you feel that? Okay, some of you are not hoops junkies. You're like readers. Any Harry Potter people in the room? You read the first page of that first book. He's sleeping in that closet room underneath the steps. Yes? No? All right, Jeremy's with me. And then you read every word of all seven books, and you know how that thing ended. I gave up after one. But you would be a good, a good witness to the Harry Potter ordeal. Lord of the Rings, Breaking Bad, whatever it may be, you saw the first one, you saw the last one, we can trust you. That's the qualification for an apostle. With their eyes and their ears, they have seen Jesus move in power, be betrayed and crucified, rise from the dead, open the scriptures, ascend to heaven. This was no joke. These men were martyred for their witness. We don't need a secondhand conversation here. We need these men to be able to say, I saw this happen. That's who we're going to choose. So who meets those qualifications? That's who we need to lead us in this capacity. All right, good. The next thing says this. And so they put forward to Joseph, called Barsabbas, who was also called Justice, and Matthias. And they prayed. And they said, Lord, you know the hearts of all. Show which one of these two you have chosen. And they cast lots for them, and the lot fell on Matthias, and he was numbered with the eleven apostles. Okay, so what do we see here in this descriptive scene? We see fervent prayer, and then let Jesus choose by lots. So this is a divine experience that they're having. They're saying, we are not qualified to just pick and choose who becomes the next apostle. We're going to seek your face in prayer that you might be gracious and show us. And then in this scene, they won't even choose. They get down to two, and they say, okay, they're both qualified, but at this point, we have to step back and let Jesus choose. And they use the mechanism of lots. For us, this would be like dice. Picture if I took a six-sided die, and I put a J on the one and the three and the five for Joseph and an M on the two and the four and the six for Matthias, and then I flipped it, and whoever's 
letter was up, that's who we're going to go with. In their case, it was a lot in the lap, and they would be named, and they would juggle it, and whoever popped out to the ground, they would pick it up. That's who would be the winner. What were they doing here? Old dead guy said it the best that I could read it this week. But for this cause did they use the casting of lots, that it might be known that Matthias was not only chosen by the voices of men, but also that he was made by the determination and judgment of God. Okay, you feel that? In other words, they're saying, we don't get to choose who the apostle will be. Jesus chose the first 12. He is choosing the replacement for Judas. We're going to leave this in divine hands. And the means that they used to make sure that it was Jesus' choice was the casting of lots. And beautifully, Matthias is numbered among the 12. This is a whole different sermon, but you notice how many names Joseph had. Joseph, Barsabbas, also called Justice. If you look up what those names mean and you get a feel for what lots of names meant, he was the more prominent figure of the two. He was the one that they probably would have chosen to this office if they had to choose. But as God often does, he chooses the one name guy, Matthias, and says, no, I'm going to go with him. He will be my servant. And Matthias is numbered among the 11. We never hear of him again. He just does his work as a witness to the gospel uh, church history says that he ended up martyred in Ethiopia, but this was Jesus' choice through qualifications and prayer with an open Bible and the congregation together. Okay, I just gave you what I would normally do in 45 minutes in 18, because we got some stuff to do today. I hope that wasn't too fast for you to go, okay, I'm getting that. All right, now let's walk back through and say, what about this process, for example, of us saying we're going to call some deacons to the office of service, assistance to the pastor, service to the congregation. Does it smell anything like that? Is the ethos with what we're doing today feel like this? Would Joseph, Mary, Matthias be like, hey, this is beautiful. You guys feel like we do. Well, let's walk through those four observations. This process has been with our elders leading and the whole community aware and involved. So yes, myself and Pastor Justin have been the primary ones working the potential deacon candidates through the process of being called. Sitting with them, praying with them, challenging them, discipling them, sitting with their wives, their families in their homes throughout this year. We have done that work. You have not done that work. We are called elders in the life of the church. But again, We are not just giving you the memo today and announcing this to you for the first time. We didn't go into a back room upstairs and make a choice and say, congratulations, here's your deacons. 16 months ago, we put before the church and said, we want to shape and disciple some potential deacons. Here's the five folks who are going to be in this track this year. Will you be loving, watching, observing, caring for them as this process goes, if there's any reason that you don't think they should be stepping toward potential service in an official way, let us know. We're in this thing together. About a month ago, we came to you at our member meeting and said, okay, we've done the process of discipling this year, and we really feel like three of these folks are ready to be called to serve in this way. If the congregation would have them, will you 
be talking with us this month about their candidacy for this office. If there's anything that you're saying, I'm not so sure about this, can you help me understand? We've been having those conversations. We have been doing this before the face of God and before the face of everyone in the congregation. It's the way this should work, with the elders leading, the congregation participating. Beautifully, that's how this has been. All right, how about this one? An open Bible. Absolutely. So for the last year, 10 or 11 times, when our deacon serve leadership track has gotten open, the first thing we do is open the Scriptures and walk through everything we can find and hear about what the gospel is, what the church is, what a deacon is. We've spent two overnights going very deep through the text of Acts 6. That was back in the summertime last year. And then the text of 1 Timothy 3. That was in the fall this year. I think we were in that text for three or four hours together, just chopping it up and trying to hear what are the qualifications for deacon? What does it mean to serve the church in this way? So I need you to know that this process has been done with an open Bible, with the scriptures shaping what we're doing. Okay, what about qualifications? Yes, whenever we're calling someone to official leadership in the church, we're going to the scriptures and we're saying, what are the qualifications? And do these folks meet those qualifications? So this has been hard and heavy all year long. It's not exhaustive lists, but representative lists. This is the kind of thing that needs to be evident in the life of someone who will serve as a deacon, dignified. I think we spent like a half hour on that word together. Dignified. That means someone who is sober and mature and not reckless and not a danger to themselves or their family or the church. Dignified. Not double-tongued. Somebody who when they say something, they mean it and they follow through. Not yes, no, my yes is yes, my no is no. Not addicted to much wine. Are there any addictions in this person's life that could spiral them sideways and harm themselves or the church? Not greedy for dishonest gain. So in our leadership development tracks, we literally open our bank accounts and financial lives to each other and say, here's all my money, here's where it is, here's my debt, here's my budget, here's what I make, so that there's no issues of greed for dishonest gain in the heart of someone who would be leading the church. Husband of one wife, one woman man, devoted only to his wife if he has one before God, managing their children and their households well, a good dad who's involved with his kids and is saying, as for me and my house, we're going to serve the Lord. Holding to the mystery of the faith with a clear conscience. So a deacon does not need to have the gift of teaching in the same way that a pastor does, but they need to know deep in their heart these words are true. This gospel is true. I'm hanging to the mystery that has saved me if they're going to serve you well. Then let them be tested first. That's what these years have been about. Then let them serve as deacons if they prove themselves blameless. So I need you to know that phrase by phrase this year with these men, we have worked through these qualifications. And with you, we don't see perfection, 
but we see maturity and holiness and trajectory to trust them to officially serve you in this role. So we've worked through qualifications. And then the last one, prayer and let Jesus choose by his spirit. Okay, so we are not casting lots this morning. I was so tempted to show up with dice with the a Jacob and a Josh and a Dave and be like, we're flipping this twice. We're only going two out of three. Let's see who it's going to be. No, we don't work in that way. Again, some of that was descriptive. This was also capital A, apostle, in the text that we looked at. Now we're, we're choosing uh, for a very important office, but we don't need the same kind of uh, divine intervention in that way. But that does not mean that we just grabbed a resume and used our human logic to make these selections and put them before you. We have diligently prayed, and I hope you have too. Jesus, give us deacons, and Jesus, have you given us these men as deacons? And if you have, with fear and trembling, we're going to call them to this office in the church. So you'll see this phrase later in the book of Acts. It seemed good to us and the Holy Spirit. That should be the feel this morning. In our fallibility, the best that we can tell, we have prayed, we have opened our Bibles, we have done this together, we have vetted qualifications, and we're believing that Jesus, by His Spirit, is raising these folks up to serve us in this kind of a way. So I want you to feel like this isn't just earthly wisdom this morning, that this is hard work from us, but divine grace from God to give us, to have us come in relationship with, and then think about calling and actually moving to say, yes, they're going to serve this way in the life of the church. So there's no lots this morning, but there's the Spirit of God in you and in me and in us, and we're trusting Him to be good to us in this process. My hope is exactly that, that Peter or Andrew or Mary or Martha, if they were sitting here, would be going awesome. This is beautiful. I love the way that you have gone about this.